Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to another edition of your favorite podcast, Insane in the Membrane. Insane in the Membrane. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. Um, it's been a quite an exciting uh, couple of weeks at uh, Internal Membrane Towers with our producer Paul and myself. We were at uh, we were at, uh, we were at F- uh, Latitude uh, the other week with the festival. We had a great time there. Before we get into it, though, uh, I need to give a big shout out to our sponsors, the London, the lovely lads, Mark and Stacey at SOS Clothing, Save Our Souls Clothing. Good lads doing good things. They they help us keep the lights on, and uh, and we, they also take care of our merch. And so, with that in mind, if you go to their website, I think it's uh, sosclothing.co.uk um, forward slash membrane. You can get yourself some of our merch, and if you use the the promo code Membrane, that will give you fifteen percent off. Not just our merch, our hoodies, our hoodies and tees. That will also give you fifteen percent off their entire range across the website. So get on that now because they really are they're good quality garments. Uh, they're ethically sourced. Even the ink is vegan friendly, which is incredible. What more could what more do you want? For God's sake, just get on there. They've got some brilliant designs. They've got some new designs coming out as well. So go on there, saveoursoulsclothing.co.uk. I love those boys. Thank you very much to Mark and Stacey. Without you, we'd be sitting here in the dark. So thank you very much. So yeah, we were at Latitude the other week, and uh, we had such a good time, producer Paul and I. And we'd had a few beers the night before. Producer Paul was actually rattling while he was sat with me on stage. Uh, so I've never seen a man rattle before, but it was good fun to see. So uh, yeah, that'll be coming up in, a, in the next, in the next uh, couple of weeks, uh, our recording of when we were at Latitude. And thank you to Latitude for having us. Thank you so much. This week's guest. Now, again, I've admired this man many, many years. I first sort of came aware, aware of him. I was a fan of Ricky Gervais. And then there was a short video, I think, before one of Ricky's live uh, DVDs. And it was him tormenting his flatmate. And his flatmate was Robin Ince. And, I, and then I went to see Ricky. I think it was on his fame tour, I'm not sure, but I think Robin supported him, and Robin was incredible. I mean, Ricky's great, but Robin really blew me away. He's a spectacular comedian. And so, um, and I'd sort of of met him briefly throughout, you know, over the last couple of years. And and then he he was at a gig uh, a few weeks ago, uh, the wonderful Vic Slayton that does the tuned up time machine with uh, myself and producer Paul Big Knobs. And um, I, I, the man was spectacular. He went on with notes and barely did his notes. And he was even annoyed that he hadn't done his notes. He was like, oh, I want to do this and that. He's such a wonderfully, naturally talented comedian. 
I, I, I was just blown away by him and I and I really wanted to come on and he and he agreed he said yeah I'd love to I'd love to come on so here he is and I'm I, I'm genuinely blown away that he came on it's like wow it's Robin Lynch man I, this is the thing when we have names on I'm not don't disrespect to anyone that's come on our guests all of our guests are wonderful but when it's someone you've admired for a while and then they come on you're like oh my god I can't believe they're on you know it, 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 it blows your head but also, it took a while to set up as well because we, we're doing all of this via Zoom and clean feed and things like that. So, it, this one took a while for us to, to get going because we had to sort the tech out. And you know, like we've all, like, as you know, you've all got, you've all doing Zoom meetings and Teams or whatever it is. No one ever clicks on and goes, "Hey, where and away we go." There's always a moment like, "No, can you just click that in the top left? Can you click that top right? Get the original sound on off, whatever it is." And producer Paul is such a stickler for it because he's got such sensitive ears. He, you know, he, he does. He does, he, look, it was our problem just to go, oh, no, that'll do. He's like, no, we're not doing that. We're doing this properly. And so, uh, so yeah, that's why this always sounds spectacular, despite all the odds now and again, especially if we're doing this for our Zoom. Uh, producer Paul, it works his magic every time. Uh, so, yeah, so with that in mind, it took us a while to get going. But you know what? Again, I'm waffling. Let's go on with the episode. Coming up in a minute, it's Robin Inns. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. A podcast from producer paul.co.uk. Insane in the membrane. I like the fact that we did all, well, many of us kind of, we, we didn't want to be in this world where we were doing it this way, but suddenly we we we, did, we kind of went, well, we have to, so let's just get on with it. And, and yeah. we, we, you know, you just can't, because I know for years, people I know are going, oh, I don't really want to, oh, I don't know about technology now. I'm a bit of a technophobe. And you go, that, no, you don't, you're not a technophobe. You just can't be bothered to learn. Just get on with it. Come on. Yeah, well, it, it, it adds another thing that you can get wrong. And yes. I think when your life is a catalogue of errors, uh, every time you had a new piece of technology, you had something else to throw at a wall and then self-loading. <laughs> so I think that's part of the issue of it all. Another thing to make you feel stupid. Yeah. yeah. How, how dare you? And as we know from social media, people have a you know real difficulty facing up to any area of their own personal ignorance. <laughs> it really has shone a light on that, on the, the fragility of 
some people. Um, I yeah, it's funny. People, like, if you make one spelling mistake or a grammar mistake, like people won't they won't retweet what you've done, or they won't they'll 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 take more joy in flagging up that you've me- you've made a mistake rather than the point you were trying to make in the first place. I think it's really. Well, fascinating. I think there must be a way in terms of promotion to do so, to actually put in a small error will mean that rather than scroll past, people will start. And then so ultimately they've realised that you are doing a gig in Milford Haven, even if you (laughs) put Mifford Haven. By putting Mifford Haven, perhaps, you know, a 100 more people know you're coming to Milford Haven. Ah, there you go. There you go. You're the the king of PR now. You're the the king of spin. I found the perfect (laughs) alibi for all my errors. Every error is merely me desperately trying to build up an audience. Do you know what? It's funny. When I was watching you the other day, firstly, because of what our brief conversation that we had, I sp- I went and was I was googling Bertrand Russell this morning. So just I realised because like I said to you today, I know of him because of Hancock. I didn't really know much about him. I was googling this morning, and born exactly a hundred years before before I was. And that I don't know why that blew my mind. I was like, like he died. He lived a hundred years before I'd even existed. And you're like, I don't know why that blew my mind. He's like 97 or something. What's that, 1979, 1978? 72. He was born in 1872. Yeah. Yeah, I forget how old he was because he was still still getting arrested in Trafalgar Square in his 90s. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty impressive. For good things, I should add, by the way, not for, you know, various importuning things or any of those, you know, John Gielgud-style errors. Uh, (laughs) So, yeah, <laughs> the bomb. He was just yeah, he was just walking around getting pissed and having a wee up at a lamppost and shit like that. No. Yeah. <laughs> Who's been on these lions, Bertrand Russell? He looks like a little bit of high digger as well. Ugly. How'd you know it was him? Well, he tried to write his name. He only got as far as Bert. Yeah. <laughs> right. Just, and the other thing I noticed the other night, I, was, I thought was fascinating. Like you've done, you've been doing, you've been in the industry thirty years. Yet you came off having smashed the gig. Had you had a, a brilliant gig? It was. Uh, we were all talking about the office going. Just the way you just, just the way you are. You the way you you handled the room and the, and you had your notes and you kept you kept meaning to refer to them. But then oh, I'm running out of time and just everything was brilliant. But afterwards in the green room, you still were quite hard on yourself. You were. Still oh yeah, I wasn't happy at all. I, I wrote no. a thing about it afterwards because I know that my brain wasn't operating it. I mean, it's it's one of those problems, isn't it? And I'm sure you have that. It's, if you're when you're performing, if you're not someone who's heavily scripted, then uh, you have to rely on your brain. You can't just sit yes. back and go, "I know how these words go." I, you know, and there's lots of comics that do that tremendously well. They are brilliant at reciting the same routine every single night, hitting exactly the right points, exactly the the perfect kind of intonation, the perfect moment of high pitch and gesticulation or whatever. But if you are someone who is desperate to constantly keep remaking what you're doing, Mm. then all I can see is errors. That's, I mean, I, I couldn't, I still find it like the radio show that I do, Infinite Monkey Cage. Sometimes we would be recording an episode on the same day that the previous episode was going out. Right. And, and Brian Cox, now producer Sash, would go, Oh, let's listen to the episode. And I would have to go for a walk. And right. I still find it, you know, after 30 years of doing things, I still find it very difficult to listen back to things. I, I, I did a the first live DVD I did with Go Faster Stripe, who were brilliant. Chris Evans, a lovely man who, who set up. Uh, um, in fact I was thinking of him because of course your producer being called Paul Daniels is actually a very yeah. useful thing in one way 
because it means you always remember their name. And Chris Evans is, you know, so he's, uh, my mate Chris Evans actually was away when Chris Evans became famous. So he was away and then he got back and people went, oh, Chris Evans, like, and he was like, what do you mean, like who? And, uh, and he's Welsh as well. So it's not as if it's a rarity. It's not as if, oh, I can't believe Chris and Evans. This is madness. Um, but when he did the first DVD with me and he kept saying, can you watch it and decide what you want kept in and what you want, can you watch it? And it eventually had to come up to Edinburgh where it was during the festival he said I'm going to sit with you in a room and make you watch it and then I gave him the notes and he went well that is 12 minutes long that's all you've left out of the two and a half hours is 12 minutes <laughs> and, I th- and I think that's a it's an interesting thing with different human beings not merely in, in comedy though obviously I see it specifically in there because we talk about it quite a lot which is I think there are different forms of ego there there is the uh kind of that that ego which always sees it being someone else's fault that things have gone wrong. Mm, yes. And then there's the other, which is that and, and there are people who get the perfect balance. But I think most of my mates don't. I think most of the people that I work with, they have just enough kind of, you know, self-loathing or whatever it might be, or self-criticism, where they will always find the imperfection in, in the room. I'm exactly the same. And I I've I I don't remember a time when I've ever gone, oh, that that didn't work because of that. It's always it didn't work because of something I did. Yeah. You know, it, you know, it's, it's it's like the other day I did some TV warm up, which I don't do very often. I don't really enjoy it. I don't feel I'm very good at it. But I did it, and they were quite spaced out. And I'd 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 sort of made a point of I, I sort of commented at Alex Brooker, who's one of the guests, a couple of times. And then I sort of came away from it going, oh, why did I do that? Because I'm not like you. I'm not scripted. I was just kind of in the moment, and I'm just my brain's just going, "Yeah, do that. That'd be funny. Do that." Because they're quite spaced out. The audience, you can't really get the energy going. So you're just doing what you can. You just you, you, your, your brain's going like, "Right, try that. Oh, that didn't work. Right, try that and try that." And then I walked away after. I was going, "Oh God, why did I try any of that? That just..." So I get it. I recognise myself when you were doing it the other night. But also, TV that, that like, is such you know. a different thing because that's yeah. what. I, I think I used to do loads of TV warm up. Um, it was kind of my version of doing jonglers, I suppose. So I never did jonglers right. or the mainstream gigs. I never really broke through into any of those. I wasn't the kind of right act for them. But so TV warm up was my I have a functional gig to do. And the trouble is, you can't lose your. In fact, what you're really there for. And I used to get these. I used to do two pints of lager and a packet of crisps, which had wow. a really lovely cast and a, and 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 a lovely writer. And they were one of those nice times where um, they didn't go and that's the warm up man and and avoid you and stuff like that. And yeah. uh, um, but realizing that you're not doing a gig, what you're doing is being pleasant company. Yes. During the relentless scene change, you know, that I remember because I was Joe Caulfield did some of the warm up, but she would always get the ones where they go, Oh, Joe, you only have to do half an hour maximum tonight because we've done a load of pre records already. And I would get the ones where now this starts up with Ralph just finishing making a matchstick model, model of Salisbury Cathedral. And of course, that would all go, Oh, we're going to have to do that again. Can someone rebuild the matchstick model of Salisbury Cathedral? <laughs> and it would do another kind of, you know, half an hour. So you, you, before the show's even got the first scene in, you think, Oh my God, they're already bored. And yeah. I've asked where everyone's from and I know all their names. Um, and I would always feel. Uh, Envious people like Steve K. Amos would get jobs like, Have I got news for you? Which would be 10 minutes at the top, and then you were allowed to go. Yes. In fact, yeah. I was very pleased. He once did, there was a, a, a show that I had a part in called Lab Rats. I don't know if you remember it. It was written by um, Chris Addison and Carl Cooper. Yes. Yeah. It was great. It was a really nice, silly thing about a bunch of people who worked in a lab. 
But so many things went wrong. And the night that I was in it, Steve Kamos was warm up. And I was like, at last. Steve knows what it's like when it's 11.30 and people are desperate to leave because they're going to miss their trains and you still haven't. We did, we did this. Uh, the, I, I played the most annoying man in the world who had been cryogenically frozen before he died to stop him talking. And it was just one of these things where everything went. So so in the first scene, I'm in the cryogenic chamber with all these false bags of peas and dry ice. And eventually, as I'm standing still, because I'm still meant to be frozen, I start to go, my feet are really hot. In fact, they're beginning to feel like they're burning. In fact, it's beginning to feel like this thing is on fire. And I thought, I don't want to ruin the shot. But eventually I went, I'm really sorry, but I think this is about to catch fire. And they went, oh, my God, it is. Get out of it. Get out of it, right? Oh, so it my like, God. Very, very typical. And then from that point onwards, every, I was covered in this weird glitter that was meant to make it look like it was frozen, but it started spreading all over the set, and it was so slippery that everyone fell over. So, so like, there's a scene where Chris Addison would run down a corridor and just stop, but he couldn't. He kept sliding very slowly. <laughs> so then we had to have the soles of our shoes glued slightly just enough. So everyone then is walking. And it's, <laughs> so it's just this beautiful, like, but it was just fascinating. As I could see Steve's face, just like, oh, my God. Right, I've only been here 10 minutes, and already one of the props has nearly caught fire, and they haven't <laughs> had their shoes glued, and everyone's falling over, and no one knows I'm going to be. And it, that, that moment, I'm sure you've had it, that moment of, yeah. oh, hell. <laughs> I'm all, I'm the same. The, the, the few times I've done TV warm up, everyone has gone. Look, you're just in there ten minutes at the top. Say that, get that, get the people. You know, introduce the acts, the the, the guests, and then you're done. But now every time I've done it, it's been you know uh, we're going to need to do this, this, and this. Can you hang around for a bit? And then it's just like which, and then you're like okay, and then you just and it went on and on and on and on. And I'm, it was really, it was lovely. The crew were brilliant. But I do come away going, oh, man, why do I bother? Why Why do I speak? Why do I even think I can do this? What's the point? And I watched you the other day when you were in the green room and you were going, oh, you yeah, my notes. I didn't do this and I didn't do that. And I'm like, well, you did a brilliant gig anyway, regardless of what you wanted to do. You still did a brilliant gig. But that's not, that's not, the, that's not the point, is it? You had set things you wanted to yeah say. and that's not what i heard in my head what i heard in my head was i mean i had to, i remember when i was touring once and i realized i have to stop tweeting apologies after gigs mm. because it turns out everyone's had a nice time yes and uh, you know there will be some nights obviously where you do but it's a, it's such an odd disparity where you um i remember doing i think it was the arts depot in in uh, in finchley and about halfway through the show, I just thought, it's never gone like this. Just nothing is, it's just not working. And I stopped. I said, look, I hope you're all all right. And I'm really sorry if this is not what you, you wanted, because I, I I know that you're just not, it's, something's not clicking. And then afterwards, I, I popped out and all these people came up to me and said, we had no idea it wasn't going well. We were having a real, it was only when you mentioned. And then they had a night, the second half was, but I had I had like four in a row where at the end of each one, I would just go, I would, you know, go up to the sound man and go, Jesus, I don't know what the hell happened there. That was, and he goes, <laughs> what are you talking about? And I go, what? Like there was one I was up in Darlington, and this was the fourth, but this was the final one of this little section, which makes you realise that what you hear in your head may not be what is going on in the room. No, not at all. And uh, and I said to the sound man, I said, I'm so sorry, I just could not get them. I don't know what it was. I really don't know. And he went, what are you talking about? I sort of, he said. You know that almost the entire audience are in the bar at the moment waiting to buy you drinks? I was like, what? And I walked out, and it was absolutely rammed. All these people were like, hey! But, yeah. and, and that's, 
that's the problem, I think. When you do get that kind of, as, as we, we all know people who, you know, there's a level of anxiety and a level of paranoia and a level also of what you sometimes imagine you are compared to mm. then what you think happens when you actually meet reality and everything shatters. And if you don't get that balance right, I think it, it's, I mean, that that's one of the reasons that I tried to give up stand-up a while ago and then now far more successfully during a pandemic, it turned out. Um, <laughs> but I I realised that there was this disparity between what I thought was going on and actually, and it mm. was driving me mad. Yes, I get the same, I get the same, like, like you've just described. I've come off stage many times and just gone, oh God, it's not going well. And, and everyone's going, I, I remember doing Leicester Square Theatre it was like a compilation show. I think it was uh, Kevin Eldon was on and people like that. So I'm, I'm beside myself because I'm like, Kevin Eldon, man. And then I've come up and oh, God, I'm so shit at this. And just, and I'm going, and then I, was, I remember saying to someone, like, oh, the thing is like, because of, of the room, like the laughter seems to go like around you. They can't really hear it. I was doing anything. They went, mate, you just smashed it. We pack it in. And you're like, ah. Oh. But I think I'd rather be that way than the other way where I think I'd come, I've seen acts come off and go, yeah, that was pretty special. And you go, you just died on your ass. That was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'd rather be more aware, out of aware. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're right. If, if, if every single gig you still walk off going, I have got to get better because this is not good enough. It does mean that I, th- I think if you, I, and I think there is a healthy amount of that. And I, and I don't think that is necessarily what I've got. That I don't think it is the healthy amount. I think it's the, un- but it does mean that I've the drive to do it. Yeah, and and I certainly found of the five gigs that I've managed to do in the two months since the the, the last kind of lockdown was full on, every time and it sounds like such a, a cliche, but like when I was doing a gig in Bath and I'd like doing a two hour show, and I do at the end of it go, oh yeah, I feel alive, and all of those cliches that that probably sound terrible to people, you know, which are oh yeah, this is when I'm most alive is when I just go right, my brain now there's an audience, just start talking and see what happens. Yeah, and at the end of it, you hopefully sometimes. I mean, I remember there was a certain. I think when Rick Mail died, actually, that was one of the things where it was such a reminder that you have to give everything, mm. and there's no excuse for being lazy or well, they didn't get it, and I just yeah, you know, why yeah. should I try? But uh, that I've and in but I remember especially after he died, every single night, even more than usual, I was like, "You do not forget, Rick Mills died, and he was the reason you became a comedian. You <laughs> give everything." And and it is, and I and I found there was a certain point, and it was only, I mean, it took me years, I think, to work out what I was really meant to be doing in stand up. I count a huge amount of it as being an absolute waste of everybody's time, other people's more than mine, really. Um, but that point where I would come off stage, I think, ah, oh, I feel exhausted. I feel mm. like I've literally, I can, my, my voice is beginning to go. And I, right, that's okay then. Yeah. I, I can do an hour in the bar, talking to people who might have hung around, have a little chat with them. And then I know that when I get back to the budget hotel, I'm exhausted and it's <laughs> and everything will start switching off. That's it. A job well done. A job well done. It's funny talking about what you work out, what you should be doing in stand-up. And I, for years... I tried to fight against the because everyone's like, "Oh, you're just a, you're this geezer, you're this, you know, this lovable geezer." And men want to have men want to drink with you, and women, you know, want to fiddle around with you. And and you're going, and because I like you, this cheeky chappy. And for years, I tried to fight that. I'm like, no, no, no. But I read, I read, and I, I'm not into football. I'm, I like, sh- you know, I, I'll, I'll go shopping with you and all that sort of thing. And then I realised, I'm like, yeah, if you just talk about the things, if you just talk about the things, people will suss out that there's more to you. Than just than you sounding like a van driver from Kent, 
yeah, yeah. yeah, just just if you just like your little references and things like that, you, you, people will get it. You don't have to you don't have to worry about you, you know worry. I, I did. I don't know why I worried about it so much, but I don't worry about it anymore. Well, know? I think it's also in some ways it's because what you're trying to do on stage is control the world and deliver a version of yourself that you want to feel happy with, even if you don't for the other 22 hours of the day. Mm. So you may well initially go, but I want to, but you know, I, I still sometimes imagine that I walk on stage, look tremendously erudite. People will erudite rather. That shows, shows a great deal about me that when I attempt to say erudite, I say erudite, <laughs> which is one of my great errors. But you know, suddenly a kind of an invisible tobacco pipe will appear, and uh, and I'll just go, you know, well, of course, one of the great things about Bertrand Russell, oh, he's so wry. What a wry routine about. And then, of course, the moment that I actually stand on stage and start talking very often i'm talking as i'm walking to the stage or whatever everything takes over and yeah. what that that idea of ever and, and i think i've almost now got used to the fact that i will never deliver this kind of slow well thought through lecture on the nature of no. the universe it will always <laughs> be this you know gatling gun of non sequiturs <laughs> And then being annoyed that you haven't you haven't done the things you wanted to do. That was Just... the thing that would have made them love me. <laughs> well, it's funny, like you see, like like you've referenced him before, like Stuart Lee, and you watch him, and the way he does it is so calm and controlled, and and you know, and he just has the audience there, and you're just like, I just can't, I can't, I panic too much. I I can't, it can't be because I forget that when people are quiet, I think they're not enjoying it. But actually, they're listening to you. They're listening to, especially in Edinburgh, you're doing a longer show, so you don't have to be funny all the way through. You just have to be interesting as well as as well as you know, entertaining and funny. But to watch Stuart and you go, oh man, I couldn't do it. I couldn't. I'd be too scared. I need to get to the punchline. Oh, silly. That's what I think is interesting is you see some of the people who are kind of anti him because he represents to them, you know, kind of left wing ideology or whatever it might be, Um, but. They, and they paint this picture of this guy being very dry and boring. But when you watch, like I, I saw his last show, Snowflake Tornado, probably one of the last ones almost before the pandemic. It's Watford Coliseum, which was the perfect place to be. <laughs> yep. Had just a nice <laughs> rub against him, you know, Watford Coliseum. It had that perfect thing, which he still gets. I know, which was um, people the waves of laughter. It was it was proper waves. You know, when you mm. feel that. But also, the people in front of me did not like it at all. And that made, of course, so much funnier was the fact that everyone was, but there was this family and it looked very much like someone's uncle had said, this guy's really good. And you know when someone's brought all their family along to see something and then none of them are enjoying it? So they're having to just kind of, everyone, while everyone else was laughing, they have that look of, I literally don't understand. And then, of course, because Stuart always goes out and sells his merch at the end, he will hear people walking out going, I'm sorry, Mike, but we're never going to see him again. This is the third <laughs> time. And we just I just don't want to. And it's a really... And, and that's what makes it... I mean, I mean, to me, there is, in some ways, the perfect gig, or perhaps, perhaps not the perfect solo gig, but the perfect club gig, is when 90% of the audience really like you mm. and 10% don't get it at all because then you get just enough to go. And also, I'm a little bit art. You know what I mean? There's that kind <laughs> yeah. of... I remember doing the Frog and Bucket years ago and uh, there was just this one table that were really... It's about about 10 guys, didn't get it. 
but the rest of the audience, it was just everything clicked. It was like, oh, God, they're having such a great time. And then I was so much extra drive by those 10 people that I just knew that I didn't want to win them over. I knew they were watching. The... And then to get an encore while a table of 10 are booing you, is the perfect kind of it felt nothing could have felt better than going oh my god that's you know it's not like i got loads of encores on the circuit suddenly i've got an encore tonight on a friday night in manchester and there's also 10 blokes who are booing me and it's got it got everything it's wonderful <laughs> oh my god and you just go oh i'm really sorry thank you thank you i am so sorry yeah <laughs> But what was interesting as well, you, you mentioned that the, you've done a lot of work with Brian Cox, and you were talking about like they have an understanding of the universe and where the where the universe is heading, our universe is heading, and that must now you've had that kind of insight. Has that sort of affected your outlook on on things like your mental health and your because because I, I, I know. I was. I remember my ex-wife was a Jehovah's Witness, ex-Jehovah's Witness, and I remember having a conversation with her, and she said, "I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a." She believed in um, creation, so she was a creationist, whatever it is. And she told me that in front of Simon Evans. She hadn't told me that before. She told me it, and I went, um, and Simon Evans kind of went, "I've got some friends over here. I'll catch up with you two in a minute." And he nips off, and I went, "What? What?" And she went, "Well, that's yeah. I believe that. I believe we were created and blah blah." And then I went, "Yeah, but." evolution is a proven thing like you know everything evolved everything's evolved the universe is always expanding and then she went yeah but what into and i went holy shit yeah and it just spun me out a little bit and it must have been the same like you doing work with brian it, like the things that you must be aware of now must have really changed everything i don't quite know what i'm going where i'm going no, with i this. don't really listen to him so nothing's changed no no i uh... <laughs> I mean, it's interesting you say that, that that what your ex-wife was saying because that was on one particular tour that we did because in the second half we normally do about 15 minutes where we just take questions that have been tweeted so I just go through them in the interval. And that was one of the major questions was what is the universe expanding into? Mm. And when you kind of start to realise that the universe is everything, it's not expanding, there, there is nothing else. Yeah. It's not moving out into anything that, is the creation of, I mean, that's, that's the hard thing. It's hard to understand the fact that there is a point in time where time does not exist or rather a point before time. And yeah. obviously that's immeasurable in the way that we, and all of those things. So I think it has, um, I mean, I think in a really positive way, I, I found a lot during the pandemic in terms of just staring. I mean, fortunately, I was writing a book as well, and I was writing a book about lots of scientific ideas. So while I was sometimes watching the kind of, in insanity or kind of bitterness or, or unpleasantness on social media, then I would suddenly be talking to someone about what black holes do and why mm. they exist and where our universe is going and the behaviour of chimpanzees and all of that kind of stuff. Mm. And it just meant it meant that I could keep taking myself out of social media human affairs into this much <laughs> grander picture. But what I find interesting, because it's like with Brian and me, I think it's because we've been working like, a lot together for 12 years now and and like when we did our tour we, we toured in 2019 i think we ended up doing about 130 shows together um and that included traveling the world and we never fell out we never had an argument wow. we don't have a even though there's always two dressing rooms at the theater we don't use them we just sit together and eat wine gums um, <laughs> and and just chat and then just go out and it's really nice as well because we get on with all the crew and all of that kind of thing and everyone just hangs out together but it's interesting watching you know what what i've got from him is just the just a tiny 
inkling of, of some of these kind of grand ideas. And then on the other side of it as well, I, I, I sometimes say to him, he's like Pinocchio to me. I'm turning him into a little human boy, having been this little kind of, you know, this, this physicist with a certain, but it is, um, I mean, one of the things that I've really in, in the 15, 16 years, that that's the kind of area of, of ideas that I've been thinking about. I've increasingly realized that some of the ideas that I think are ridiculous, um, it doesn't matter that they're ridiculous. Ideas about ghosts and things mm. like that. I'm, I'm increasingly intrigued by why we believe what we believe. And yeah. I often think one of the problems is that sometimes on the side of, of people who would count themselves as rationalists, you just go, well, this is rubbish and it doesn't exist. And you go, but it does exist in the mind of human beings. And that, that's been a big change for me is beginning mm. to really accept and understand how everything that we believe about the world is far more in terms of our personal vision of the world uh, before you put the equations into it is far more tenuous than you imagine and i think mm. once you start to realize that you've got this kind of subjective perception of the world and that you're not right about everything and even that the thing that you're looking at and someone else is looking at as well that you're seeing something different oh, all yeah. of those things those have been the bits that i think have been most useful to me in terms yeah. of sometimes when feeling a little bit frayed and stuff like that. And also realising you're not in charge. I think that's one of the, you know, when you talk to neuroscientists and the increasing realisation that so many of our decisions are not made by us, it's just we then presume, you know, it's part of our brain, it's unconscious, it's subconscious, all that kind of thing. It just means that you can sometimes try and not feel as guilty about yeah, yeah. each mistake you made. I don't know if it works or not because I still have my my mem my error memory is a very very strong memory and it goes back to the age of three, and you know I, I still will have the last night I suddenly remembered a time that I got a bit cross with my son and I was like oh, I'm really annoyed. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's but I remember talking to Josie Long about that where we talked about that having that kind of memory and she said for years she'd been really felt bad about something she'd said to her sister or done to her sister, and it just twenty years. Of feeling guilt and one day she said I've got to have to and, and she said look you remember that time and her sister went no <laughs> and she went you remember that time I did that she went I don't remember it at all yeah and her sister had probably forgotten that or even not noticed it within the 10 minutes of of of, of that whole event and Josie had carried it with her for 20 years saying <laughs> oh my god the things I've done to people <laughs> but this is the I remember uh Matt Price telling me um I said to him, I said, whenever, this is a few years ago now, I said, whenever I walk away from a conversation, like I just said with the TV woman, I walk away going, oh, God, why did I say that? Oh, they think I'm such an idiot. And he said, he went, it's quite arrogant to think that they're still thinking about you after you've walked off, Rich. <laughs> it's like, I went, oh, yeah, I guess, yeah, they're not sitting there, they're not analysing everything you've just said. They've gone, oh, I just bumped into Rich. Right, on with my day, I've got this to do, that to do, do a thing. They're not going, fuck, why did he say that? Like, it's, it's still, that's the interesting yeah. thing, isn't it? You know, comedy obviously demands narcissism in one way or the other. Mm. And you either have positive narcissism, I'm the best in the world, didn't everyone love me? Or you have negative narcissism, which is, I ruined everyone's life, didn't I? <laughs> I've ruined... There are a lot of people who came into that room happy and then the thing that they've left with will stay with them. I, I, I've cast a shadow that is inescapable, you know, and that's, and, and, it's, and the problem is, of course, as we talk about this now, we both know logically that that is true. 
but it doesn't matter because it, it was something that I think I meant to talk about it actually on on the gig that we did on Wednesday, which is one of the things that I realised was things like a lot of our negative imagination, like anxiety imagination, you try and talk yourself out of stuff and what you realise is you're talking to a bit of the brain that doesn't even understand language. So all of those bits where you're saying, um, don't be so stupid, this incident didn't mean anything or this didn't happen, you don't need to be worried about this while you're sat here, in the, all those things, you can argue with the other bits of your brain that have all got mm. language in them, but actually the bit that's creating the terror and the horror and the fear and the paranoia, which may remain with you, is just this, you know, kind of early bit of brain going, <laughs> and that's that's the bit that's really frustrating, is, is really uh. there is a limitation on how much you can argue with yourself because most of your brain is is even more stupid than you or I are. <laughs> so it's just, you're just, it's just pointless. So just... Yeah, I'd never. Oh, wow, of course. Yeah, and I have. I do that all the time. I have to physically say it out loud. You're being a dickhead again. You're worrying and being paranoid again out loud. Come on, come on, Rich. Look, just do it. I know you feel a bit shit today. Just, just do the thing. If you do the thing, then you won't feel shit. You'll feel better. And I go, yeah, but I. Oh, but then if I do the thing, they won't like it, and then it'd be a waste of time. And I like, just do the thing, Rich. You're now trying to preempt. Any, you're trying to preempt the yeah. outcome, and you're just sitting there, and you get nothing done. It's an hour, an hour's gone, and you've done nothing, and you could have done something. And you then <laughs> you think, now I've not done it. I've got to occupy the next hour with regret rather than action. <laughs> and then it reminds, I remember my wife once saying to me, "Just say sorry, and then shut up." <laughs> a good, I said once. It might be a lot more than that. And uh, and it reminds there's there's a, a, a beautiful what's his name Sandy Stone. Have you ever seen Sandy Stone? It's a Barry Humphreys character. No, I've never seen it. No, it's like a kind of Samuel Beckett play. The the version I saw is he's just this old man in a dressing gown, kind of sat in an old scrapyard, and it's actually the the afterlife. Ah, oh. there's one line that really stayed with me was uh, he said um, I kept meaning to tell my wife that I loved her, but I was always too busy saying sorry. <laughs> and I thought that was yes, fantastic. You know that that bit where you realise that you've been trapped in a spiral of, of, of apology and no action <laughs> all the time. <laughs> but you, you, but you're so the, like the version I saw of you on 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 Wednesday when you were stressing about your notes. And going, oh, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Are you like that anyway? Or is that just comedy brings that side of you out? Or you oh, just, no, it's one. Yeah, that, that's the other side all the time. Is I, I perpetually, I mean, like doing this now, uh, everything that I say to you, I can also hear someone saying, Rich is disappointed. And that was a really boring story that you told about lab rats. And <laughs> I don't know. It was like, you know, that I briefly mentioned on, on Wednesday. I think I started talking about when I, I had therapy and the therapist one day said, it just sounds exhausting being you. <laughs> yeah. And and that's and now that bit of saying that when I was lying on the couch, most of it won't come out because my brain stops it. And that's the thing is my negative voice is incredibly quick. Mm. and it will find the error. And, I mean, one of the stories I was going to tell, I had a list of kind of ridiculous things about being worried about being misinterpreted, like you said, that thing about... Mm. And I think one of the ones that is the most banal is there's a baker's near where I live, and it's a good baker's, and uh, one day I went in with a friend, and I said, what, what do you want? And I said, oh, they've got, they've got more. They've got Belgian buns over there. They've got uh, uh, Chelsea buns. Uh, they've just got those kind of the finger buns there. 
And uh, he said, wow, you know all the, the baked goods, don't you? And I said, yeah, I really know my buns. And I literally meant I really know my buns. But the two women who work there are quite young women. And I then immediately went, oh, my God, what if they think I'm the kind of person who's a doodle entendres and the reason I come to the bakery is because, oh, I like the buns. And they think there was meant to be that. And I never went back. That's three years ago, I've come back. Because, and, and it would not go away. I was like, the rest of the day, I just kept going, oh, my God, what they're, they're, oh, they're and again, the, the narcissism to think that yeah. the mistaken belief in a double entendre would mean that, you know, as, as, as they're scrubbing the bits of kind of burnt cheese off from the toasties <laughs> they've sold at lunchtime. Do you remember that weird man? Do you remember buns this and buns that? <laughs> I'm glad he never came back. If he does, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't want him in here just looking at all of our baked goods. <laughs> With his bun knowledge, how dare he? It's like last night we were in the pub, and there was, there was the, the, the young girl that was serving us. She had really interesting tattoos, and they were in, they were all over, everywhere. And I remember and she brought the, the drinks out, and I remember, and she sort of stood next to us as she was we were paying, and I just looked, and in my head, I'm like. They are really great tattoos, and they're unusual as well. Just re like really, I was like, oh, that's really cool. And then I suddenly went, I, I built it up in my head. I'm like, oh my god, she thinks I'm staring at her, I'm being weird, like you've just just said. And then from that from that time on, I thought she was really off with me. I'm like, oh my god, she thinks I'm a dirty perv. And I'm well, like, right. So I just say to her, the next round, I'll say, look, I just really think your tattoos were really interesting blah, 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 blah. and I build it all up and then when we were leaving they were playing the music was on and it was really unusual because it was a band called the OCs which is like this psychedelic California rock band which you don't really hear very often so I'm like I mean who chose this and the guy goes oh I did and I'm like dude you never hear the OCs in the in places like this isn't it and we started talking about the OCs and then we started talking about uh, Ty Siegel and other stuff. And then, and then, and then she chipped in. She's like, oh, yeah, it's, we, we get where it's quiet. We get to choose me. And suddenly I'm like, oh, she didn't have, she wasn't angry with me. She just wasn't anything. But I'd given her this whole personality. It was all yeah, in my yeah. head. Well, you must do that with members of the audience where you just presume. Yeah. Um, like, I presumed that, you know, there was that young couple quite near the front. She was, I think, involved in some form of care or something like that. Yes. Uh, and he, he worked for, for Barclays Bank. That's right, and, yeah. Uh, all the time, even though I never looked at them, I thought they were just sat there going, this guy's banging on. <laughs> and But that is, it's such an, yeah, that, that bit of once you've made the mistake, you again, that's that whole thing of subjective uh, perception, isn't it? Every little look of doubt, whatever, you yeah. know, even if that person serving drinks and just totting up something, you know, just totting up yeah. the, across the drinks for the, and that look of totting up, you think, oh, that's someone actually squeezing up their face going, <laughs> oh, tattoo stare man's coming back. I bet he says something like, oh, I really like your tattoo. Oh, look at him. <laughs> it was exactly that. And she had no idea. She was oblivious to the whole thing. This whole pantomime unfolded in my own head. <laughs> Just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And I do it all the time. But that's the great bit about stand-up, isn't it? Is that when yeah. you have that, I think that's probably why we, we love it, is that uh, it is, that's the one time that you can let out all of these things, which, and I think mm. that's why, the, I think the most interesting stand-up is, it is revealing the things that everyone is keeping inside. Uh, there's loads of other interesting stand-up, but that's the bit that I love is just that bit. And, and the moment that someone can come up to you and say, I really thought it was only me. I've re and then, yeah. then, then that realisation that 
the number of people who are keeping everything in mm, all the time. Yeah. And that, it, it's one of the things that I, I, I wrote a book a, a, a while ago, which kind of talks a little bit about mental health amongst other things called I'm a joke and so are you. And it was really interesting to me have, when I finished it, starting to get people communicating with me or coming up to me and saying, I didn't know that this was something that, other people had in their head i was certain it was me yeah. and then i suddenly started to realize because some people would tell me very honest stories and sometimes quite sad stories as well and i realized god how many people the moment that they leave their front door go right just put all on that that put that armor on now and just keep this shattered self together yeah. and everything's going to appear normal and it's going to be fine and you realize yeah. it's so many people yeah I mean, yeah. it might make a difference because if they're coming to gigs of mine already, they've been drawn towards something. You know, so it might be an unfair, you know, but it does make me realise <laughs> how many people are desperately trying to keep themselves together and not oh, sharing anything with anyone. But inside their head, they are. And, and it's really horrible to. I, I used to talk about um, impulsive thoughts, you know, those mm. things. I used to give the example of when you're holding a baby and you suddenly get worried that you're just going to throw the baby out the window or off the edge of a cliff or something like that. And that was really interesting because I that bit got longer and longer because I'd have more and more conversations with people who would say, oh, my God, I genuinely thought that I had some kind of murderous urge and yeah. I didn't realise. And then being able to and, – and I ended up becoming a longer bit because I, I decided I had to put in the real psychological explanation because it might be enough of a relief for some people. It didn't mean they wouldn't have those thoughts and it didn't no. mean they wouldn't be scary for them. But then the other bit – the bit of the brain that can actually talk would go, hey, everyone, <coughs> calm down, especially you, it. <laughs> and, it was, and that bit of saying – the most important thing to remember is – was your first thought when you were holding that baby and you imagine throwing it down the stairs, did you initially smile? No, you don't. The moment you catch that thought, you go, oh, my God. Yeah. Which means that it's not a thought with any desire to carry those things out. It is, I used to say, it's like a public information film that gets played and it says, you're holding a baby, remember not to do these things. But it gets translated too quickly and we think it can be. And, and that was really interesting watching... And, and yeah, I, I think that was almost like, because that, that was quite an old routine that I then brought back. And suddenly it went from just being silly jokes about stupid things that I had in my head to going, oh, Christ, this is really, it's not just, they're not just laughing because they go, have you heard what that man's thinking? They're actually going, oh, thank Christ. Yeah. <sighs> I've said it on here. I remember saying it in earlier episodes. Uh, we were talking about that very thing. I said that. I said, yeah, you get. we're all the same. You get that urge when you – it was a baby. I said, and you get that urge to just punt it over the shed, but you don't because the other side of your brain goes, no, 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 we don't do that. This is what we do. We care, we caress, and we look after, and we love, and we cherish. And then the other brain is going, no, kick it, boot it, put your thumb in the soft bit, you know. Oh, with that, with that yeah. bit, I, I remember having that dream about the soft bit when, when one of my sisters had a kid, and it was so horrible and vivid that I did that thing of, tr of finding any excuse not to, to, to hold the child. Because you go, oh, my God, what, what, what if? Here yeah. is anything, basically anything that is fragile, your brain will go, imagine if you smash that up into lots of little pieces. Oh, yeah. And it can haunt you for a long time. And then you find out because people keep it in, it can become obsessive compulsive behavior. Then it becomes obsessive compulsive disorder. Yes, and that yeah. and that's the bit where you. I remember reading this this thing about a, a woman uh, who had. It's called Pure O. I think it might have changed its name now, but it it was about this certain kind of obsession. 
And she got this one kind of aberrant sexual thought and then decided that that's what she was. I, th- I think it was basically it was a kind of paedophilic thought. Right. And eventually she went to a, a, a therapist because people knew there was something wrong with her because she was just losing weight and she was looking really ill and stuff like that. And the person went, no, 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 that's not a thought. That's not about you wanting to commit that action. Yeah. The brain sometimes just throws up. It throws up the things that you mustn't do. Yes. And, it, it, and, and, and you can read it, mistakenly read it, as being something you want to do. And she'd had this five years of living in terror of what she thought she might be. Wow. My and I God. and I find those, and that's I mean that's one of the huge problems I think in so much of our you know kind of uh, a lot of it in Western society, but it might be that just might be my, but I, I certainly think in America and in the UK there is a big disparity between how we present ourselves and what's going on in our brain in a way that yes. I don't say in somewhere I, I can't remember if it was you the other day I was talking about and no, I don't think it was but talking about Norway and the thing I love about Norway is you don't have to keep saying please and thank you all the time even though I would want to. Mm. They go, we're just getting on with stuff. You don't have to keep saying that now. Yeah, right. Sorry, and, and and it means that it's it's a, a culture which is not in any way rude. It means that whenever those words are said, they really mean something, yeah. as opposed <laughs> to that where you know, like if you bump into someone in the street, and you go, "Oh God, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry," and then the moment you go around the corner, you go, "Fucking idiot!" Well, the, <laughs> and it's like, and that is a terrible disparity to have the whole. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons that our society is so angry. Is yeah. Keeping up this mask yeah. of supposed politeness when in fact you're filled often with kind of hate <laughs> or envy and you know, and it's and then you realise those people, you know, those kind of Julia Hartley Brewer figures and various others who feed off that and they and, and they yes. offer people that nastiness that yeah. kind of justifies that anger. Yeah. And most of the time, like when we see when we see the reaction to something like that Julia has said. And you see the hatred and the bile and all the awfulness. And you, um, I sit there and I go, wow, where did this come from? Why are you so angry? Because that's something people don't, because I know I've done that before. I, I would have lost my temper and done something. And, and I'm like, and I'll go away and go, why was I angry about that particular thing at that minute? I don't think it was that big a deal. It was obviously something else. And then I'll work my way back and go, oh, I was annoyed because I didn't, I didn't do that thing I said I was going to do an hour ago. That's why I've yeah. kicked off. That's why I've kicked off here. And I think a lot of people, there's a, there's a, there's something else. Why they, if they could all take a look and go, you're not actually angry at immigrants and people and stuff. There's something else you're angry about. Maybe it's a, it's your family, or maybe it's something from when you were a child. Which is why, which is why I think therapy is so important for everybody. You know. Yeah, I think to, getting just, that chance. You, you're right. A lot of the kind of dialogue that we've seen. In, in during the pandemic from the most negative people who've kind of whether they've refuted the existence of the virus or you know the mask thing and all of that stuff it it comes from the immediate reaction of why have i not got everything i want well it must be someone else so i mean i find it particularly interesting when it comes from rich dirt journalists when it comes from you know very well paid actors who've been brought up in extreme privilege with extreme advantage in their actual career and all of that thing and yet they can still find a way of making themselves the victims yes and yes and I think that's that, that's that unhealthy other side of narcissism. And it might still mm. come from somewhere in self-loathing, but sometimes people go, you know what, we need to spend more time understanding those people. And I go, no, do you know what, I want to understand, first of all, I'm going to spend more time thinking about the people who really are crying and in distress and mm. the victims of a lot of these things. I'll find time eventually, <laughs> but there's a lot of people who are a little bit 
you know, further at the front of the, of, of, of the queue for understanding. There's a line by James Baldwin, and you know, that brilliant poet, author, activist, everything. And, and I can't remember exactly what it is, but he basically said, you know, the reason that people hate so much is that if they stopped their hate, they might have to start looking at themselves and realising oh, yeah. their dissatisfaction. And, and I think that that is so much of, of what, it, you know, when you see people blaming, you know, immigrants, refugees, trans people, whatever, when you see them being blamed mm. and you go, oh, this is, a, I think this is about something much, it, this is, it's not about them. It's, no. Or, I, I, I don't think it should be anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there is a, there is a, there is a victim culture that's built up. This seems to come up the last few years. So people are going, oh, I, I'm, I, oh, this is, oh, this happened to me. It shouldn't happen to me. You know, but no, you're getting in the, you're actually getting in the way of people that, like you just said that actually need help. Actual people that are victims of something. You're getting in the way. Like I had the conversation with a, a, a family member the other day. The news was on, and they were talking about the 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 the, the people in dinghies getting sent back from. They're trying to get from. I think it was like Greece or get to Turkey or something, or right vice versa. And they were getting they were getting cut off by the by the coast guard and sent back and shot at. And I was watching that, and then and then the family member just went, "Oh, see, well, this is the thing, isn't it? This is why we've got COVID everywhere." And I'm like, "Are you just seeing what's going on? They're not just in. They're not just in dinghies for the, for a laugh. Like this is where something's really bad where they live. Like, like, say you live here, and then suddenly someone goes, "Collect what you can carry. You're going to have to get out of here, and we're going to stick you in this shitty boat. Good luck, you know." And they were going, "Yeah, but this is why we can't go. This is why we can't go to the shops." Because yeah, of people yeah. like that. And you're like, you're not the victim in this. They are. They are. And it's not even their fault. It's the generals on the hill that have created this this horrible world that we live in where people are attacking just general, normal, everyday people are getting cast out from their houses. And you've got, and you've, and you've got the ump because you can't go to Asda when you want. And it blew my mind. It blew my it mind. Is, you know that you, you, there's something wrong with your society when uh, current villains of extreme uh, left-wing agitation are the National Trust and the Royal National Lifeboat Institute. <laughs> Once you go, and I, I was talking about that the other day. I was just thinking of because you know that 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 term now that gets banded around the whole time, you know, woke culture and all of those mm. things, which basically seems to be anyone, you know, and, and anyone who doesn't sanction illegal dog fights is immediately considered to be woke nowadays. And it's, um, <laughs> and I, I was thinking of in the past, when you look at like George Formby is uh, him, you know, this story that no. Formby and, uh, and his wife, I've forgotten her name now. Uh, um, they, they went out to South Africa. Uh, it would have been the 1940s, I think early fifties perhaps. And uh, they refused to play to uh, segregated audiences. And it created right. a huge amount of, like this, this, this little black girl gave gave her uh, George Formby's wife a box of chocolates, and uh, as far as I remember, she 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 gave she kissed the little girl, and it was outrage. Yeah, outrage. yeah, right. And she ended up saying to one of these guys who was uh, one of the kind of main people in government, she, she said, "Why don't you just piss off, you silly little man?" <laughs> and you know, and they had to be taken out of South Africa <coughs> kind of back group because they stood against it. And you think, yeah. John Arlott, the cricket commentator, who refused to go to South. Yeah, all of those people. And they go, I'll tell you, the the woke generation, Formby, Arlott, you know, <laughs> and and you look at a lot of those, and, and so much of it, you're right, is just covering up for people's anger that they haven't mm. 
But then what worries me is, I remember, I mean, it must be the 30th anniversary now of the first time that an article got written going, of course, the worst thing to be now is a white middle-class man. Um, you know, it's been it's been at least 30 years that that whole thing about, I mean, the best thing to be nowadays is a, is a disabled black lesbian. I mean, I don't know who first said that, but it's continued yeah. to return. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just doesn't stand up to statistical scrutiny, you know? It's no, just, no. <laughs> but... Yeah, and and that now that oh, sorry, yeah, I could go on about this phrase. No, 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 but you're right, you're right, and it, it, I think it's, but this is the thing that like, this podcast is 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 like mental health is like the, the the jumping off point, but all these things are they do they do need to be spoken about because these things do affect people's mental health. The this is why this pod, people love this podcast because the conversation's like this, and then I'll, we'll get messages. People go like you said. Uh, I thought I was the only one that thought this way. I thought, I, I didn't say anything to, any, to anyone else. <coughs> Excuse me, for fear of looking stupid, or you know, it, it's that's why we do this this podcast. You know, it's it's people realise they're not alone. And so these these, these all when I see the news footage of people in Syria getting turned back in dinghies, and I see people shouting and screaming online, and I see you know. The, the police don't arrive at the football grounds, but they'll kick off at a peaceful BLM march, you know, and and, you, and all these things affect my mental health. You know, it needs, we do need to talk about these things. It's, it's, it's crazy. The things people do get angry about and what they don't get angry about. That makes sense. See, that's what I, it's interesting. When you mentioned the football, the first thing that came to mind is, is not actually what we've just seen. And again, that important thing to note, which is I, I do believe that more often than not, the uh, the idiots and the the people filled with hate are vastly overrepresented by mm. the media, and and I think you know it's been really interesting watching all these campaigns to get you know Marcus Rashford's book to schools and the huge donations that've been going on to all these independent bookshops stuff like that. But it made me think about that bit of like Kelvin McKenzie. So something that I've never been able to understand is Kelvin McKenzie has remained being invited onto you know the feast tables of tv news panel shows and all these things after you know what happened and the way that he uh, you know not merely the misrepresentation misinformation and disinformation about a tragedy blaming the people who were there for the death of their own children family and friends mm. for some reason we live in a culture which says that's fine they can keep coming to the table and yeah. then uh, that's one of the many things that i love about liverpool i think liverpool the fact that they still the majority of them don't buy the sun no and, they, and it's um, but it, it really interests me, the people that you, who are allowed to go so far. And then every now and again, there'll be a point which goes a little bit, you know, there's a point where, oh, we have to have some kind of reaction now. And yeah. that person is removed from the feast table. And then two years later or one year later or three months later, they're back at the feast table again. And we just go, it's all right, people have forgotten about that now. So the actions <laughs> only mean anything as long as they're in the current kind of forefront of humans' minds. So which very often means that when people are banned, it's only because of timing and nothing to do with ethics or morality. <laughs> it's so true. You're right. You're absolutely right. And it's, I, yeah, I try not to look at it too much now I because it, I get because of the injustice of it all, like you say, someone like him just gets to just swan about a bit and do what he wants to do. And if I think about it too much, it will send me over the edge. I have to. I have to. You, you're, well, you're right. That thing of going, like I said at the beginning, the, the relief of the fact that I would just go, oh, go and look at the stars tonight and start thinking about that thing someone was telling you about black holes. 
and mm. start thinking about the fact that when you look up at the stars, it was like, like there was a thing that I loved, which was uh, I was watching this documentary about, it's really interesting. It's it's uh, something of light. I'm trying to remember. It, it's basically, it's all about Chile. And it's both about the fantastic, incredible observatories they have in the middle of the desert there. Yeah. But it was also about in that desert are where many of the forgotten their bodies were taken. So many of those people who were were murdered by uh, Pinochet and all those things. So it's a, it's about politics. It's about people who've been the disappeared, and it's also about the. And it was this bit where someone said astronomy is archaeology because when you look at the sky, you're looking back in time in the same way as when you're digging in the desert, you're digging and you're finding, and all of that is going back in time. And it just changed the night sky for me. And, that, and it's that bit where if I spend my whole time worrying about Kelvin McKenzie or whatever, then yeah. you're right. There's a point where you go, this has now become a hate, which is kind of just, it's it's like a hot, you know, there's no way yeah. it's in my lungs now. Yes. Um, whereas that bit where you go, hang on, right, I've really got, I've, it's much harder, but I've got to really concentrate. Remember that documentary about astronomy? Remember that? Oh, yes, it's come back. Oh, now go yeah. look at the night sky. But yeah. it does take more time. I mean, I think that's why sometimes social media overrepresents our kind of hate and our anger is because it's a very immediate thing that you can, but actually joy can sometimes be work to go, yeah. no, there's something really delightful in this picture and I haven't found it yet and I'm going to find it. Yeah, that's very true. Very true. I, 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 yes. I tell you what does blow my mind before we finish is when they talk about stars. I know this is very basic, but they go that, oh, the fact that you can see it, it's not there anymore. What? It doesn't, I can't. Well, that's not basic. You know, see, that's the whole thing. I, I think one of the biggest problems with the, sometimes people's thoughts on, on why they're not going to get involved in science is they presume that they've, oh, just a very basic thing. It's not a basic thing. It's an incredible thing. I, I actually made a note of that the other day of just going, isn't it weird? There is a speed to light. Because if you, yeah. where you're sat and I'm, I'm sat, you don't think of light moving around. You think light's there. And the idea that light is moving, that the light from the sun, that, you know, if the, if the sun disappeared, there'd be a number of minutes before we actually, you know, all of those things. Um, the fact that that star might not be there anymore or certainly is, or anything that was looking out towards us at the same time as the light left is died, you know, possibly, you know, hundreds of thousands or more years ago. <laughs> that's not a simple thing. And I think no. that's, the, I mean, that's one of the things that I love about when, when Brian and me do with the Q&A thing, people will often kind of say, I know this is a bit of a stupid question. It never is. They're all, because if it, it is all of these things that appear to be simple yeah. are magnificent and strange. Yeah. And the fact that you would have that thought when almost every other species on this earth is I, I remember doing a thing with uh excuse me while i name drop jane goodall <laughs> um but, you know, but I, I was doing a thing with jane goodall and talking to her about uh some of the observations she made of chimpanzees because she totally changed the way that we saw chimpanzees and and the presumptions about them and she changed the way they were studied because before then science i mean science had done that thing was anecdote doesn't count uh with chimpanzees and of course it does because if you get enough stories you know it's, mm. this is different to you know you um and um uh, she said this thing where she once saw the chimpanzees, it was the way they went into a waterfall and they started playing in a way that she had never seen chimpanzees play with water before and a way with real joy and proper sense of play. And she said it was so beautiful to watch. And then at the end I thought, how sad, because they can't now talk about the experience they've just had. And they can't, you know, they've had those. And I thought, you know, that thing of not being able to talk about the fact that you are able to look up at the sky on a clear night and go, right, how far away is that one? 
And that's yeah. just hit my eye. Those photons have just hit, and they've not been impeded by anything else on the way. There's no. 10,000 years that the photons that are now at the back of my eye and have helped put together this picture that I've just seen. I don't think there's anything simple about those. And that's why I think, you know, I genuinely believe if more people go, right, it doesn't matter. Because I think, I was talking, sorry, I'm, don't, don't no, 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 I, I love this. But no. I was talking to a friend of mine, Alam Shaha, who's really good and uh, he's a science teacher. And he said the problem with the way science is taught is that unlike all the other lessons, it's taught really to eventually work out who the scientists are going to be. So it ultimately has to have the result of being, uh, now I understand this idea and I'm going to go off and investigate it professionally. Whereas that's not, English isn't taught to in a way that expects you to immediately, you know, I'd never wrote a novel, which I I look back now and I wish I'd never done English GCSE. You know, it's not that, but science has that kind of, and, and it's a lot of the stories are taken out of it and a lot of just why, the why we should be interested is taken out of it. Yes. And, you know, it, it becomes levers and pulleys. And once you go, it doesn't matter if you pick up a science book or you just buy a telescope or whatever. It doesn't matter if by the end of it, you don't know all the names of the constellations uh, or you don't understand understand you know the nature of light or you don't understand wave particle duality or any of those things it doesn't matter because the actual joy of looking at that thing and having a little bit more understanding and having a little bit all oh, right so there's a speed of light and that means that the further away i look the further back in time that is yeah that alone means the night sky you've changed your connection with it and i think yeah. that's, that's the, the beautiful thing about it i love it i love a friend of mine was explaining to me quantum physics and because he's he's a scientist and he's into that and he and he finds it he finds it really funny to just he talks to me and he could just see me just trying to figure it out i'm like i think i kind of get it and then when he said to me so well just remember this phrase you gotta say if you say to someone if you understand if you say that you understand quantum physics then you don't understand quantum physics and i went oh yeah i like that that's really good and the amount of times i've used that (laughs) and it made but it makes sense i went oh yeah because it just changes all the time and does the thing and you can't you can't if you like shine the light on it then it changes it and it does the thing and and i find all that fascinating and i find i find the fact that we exist it, it blows my mind that not only do we exist we are aware that we exist and i try and remember that when i'm stressing about the thing i haven't done yeah i'm like the fact that i'm here we are here and we're able to we are aware we're able to look around and go i'm here and then you just how did that happen and it just, that's what keeps me from going over the edge, I think, the, the wonder of that uh, the we're alive. Yeah, it's a really bizarre thing because it is, that's the whole problem and also the joy of it, isn't it? Which is, there's, it appears there's not very much that uh, many times that atoms eventually come together and make something that's aware of itself and conscious mm. and viewing things and questioning things. And that's the reason that we have all the problems. That's why we go into a bakery and then never go there again for fear of what's been said. That's why, you know, you, you're shouting at your printer or whatever you're doing, or you know, regret. All of those things come with it. And so do all the other, the good things come with it as well. And the moment that you say, I'll tell you what, I just wish I wasn't self-conscious. You mean, oh, you, you literally mean you wish you didn't exist because it's yeah. existence or nothing. You know, that that's it. You, you either are conscious of what's going on or once that's removed... You know, it might be okay yeah. being a tree, but it probably is. A tree doesn't know it's a tree or no. that it exists. <laughs> That's not an anti-tree statement. No, no, no. Let's not at get into that. At the same time, I don't need to add at the end hashtag not all trees, as far as I know. 
<laughs> but I like the way we've covered that, just in case. Just in case. Yeah, yeah. Just any, case. any trees, oh. any trees we write in. Um, yeah, again, many emails from furs I see coming in. <laughs> oh, Robert, box it, is high. It's kicked off. The weeping willows are not happy, yeah. mate. <laughs> I, I do you know what I want to say. I thank finally you. got it's over great. a lot of my anxiety that's been making me so weepy. <laughs> yeah, you said that, and suddenly the my branches were just sinking into the river again. <laughs> yeah. So thanks, Robin Ince. Yeah, yeah. For nothing. But yeah, thank. But this has been great, man. I've really enjoyed. I really was. I knew this would be great chat with you. Um, and I wanted to say this to you without fan fanboying and all that sort of thing. But I, I, I became aware of you through Ricky Gervais being his flatmate and him. And there was that where yeah, he was yeah. just written. I remember sitting there going, poor fucker. Must have gone through pure hell. But because of that, it's got me to this point here talking to you now. And I, I think you're brilliant. And thank you for coming on. It's been an absolute oh, very joy, Robin. Really lovely. Thank you. thank you very much. Where can we find you online? Oh, if you go to cosmicshambles.com is where all the stuff is. I'm doing, hopefully, if everything stays open in, in the autumn, I'm going to do a, a tour of 100 different bookshops when my next book comes out. So that is across the UK. I probably won't get to Northern Ireland or the Republic of Ireland until January next year, but I will be, like, I think in the first five days, I'd, I'd do Scotland, uh, Wales, North of England and the southwest of England. So I'm, I'll be covering as much ground as possible. Fantastic. Fantastic. This has been brilliant. Thank you so much for your time, Robin. Thank you. Insane in the membrane. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Made by darkhorsedigital.co.uk Shooting, live streaming and podcast production.